People see someone and they're an overnight success. No, they've been working at it for five plus years probably if you're noticing them as a big success, right? Like that, that's like sort of the minimum. Like um, when I started Veracode, I said, yeah, I can put five years into it. And at five years, I felt like we were really just getting started. Like to really capitalize on what we were doing and the whole market space, it was going to be at least another five years. Wow. So you have to put in a lot of time to build something big and lasting. Um, and then you, you have to, you know, you have to be absolutely passionate about it. You have to absolutely love what you're doing. It can't be like, it's not like a day job. <laughs> you know, it's going to suck up all your time and all your mental energy. So you have to be committed to it. And uh, I think if you put in the time and you're committed to it and you're passionate about it, you know, I think anyone can do it. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In the second and concluding episode with Chris Weiserpal, co-founder and CTO of Veracode, he touches on a wide variety of topics. He talks about his mentoring activities and the Black Hat software security community, and he has a very valuable insight from research carried out by a fascinating startup called Humanize, an MIT startup which he advises on the impact of open offices on our ability to do effective work. He also touches on whether quantum resistance will be in place before it starts breaking security keys when quantum computing fully emerges. on the board of a very interesting looking operation called Humanize, born out of MIT Media Lab. You joined it, I think, about five months ago. How has that been and what's yeah, that Yeah, so um, I, I, after, um, after uh, being acquired, you know, I'm part of a big company now, I want to keep my, you know, roots a little bit in the startup <laughs> world and sort of give back to the Boston startup community. So I started going to um, some of the MIT um, Angel um, uh, meetups, and, and, and they have they have every couple months they'll have pitches, and to learn about learn about some of the new companies and network with people. And I was networking with um, with one of the uh, one of the guys from uh, Romulus Capital, and I happened to say, you know, um, I'm interested in technology companies, you know. I'd hope to be on a board of a company someday and share my experience growing Veracode for 12 years. And uh, you know, we met over lunch a couple times, and then about six months later, he said, "You know, I have this company that I think you're a good fit for, and we're looking at getting our you know first you know outside board member." And uh, you know, I met the team, and they're just doing some really cool stuff. What they're doing is they're taking. Um, they're using these devices uh, that collect, they call it socio, sociomet sociometrics. So you wear this device, it knows, uh, you know, with RFID, it knows like who you're standing near, um, it knows if you're talking to them or not, it knows your location where you're having your conversations. Um, they also, of course, tap into things like the phone system and email to see who's communicating to who on what, you know, the, the calendaring system, who's meeting with who and they kind of understand how your organization is interacting with each other. Very and they've, they've created this field, it was founded by three PhDs from MIT called uh, People Analytics. And the idea is how can we make organizations 
um, work better? How can we get the right meeting spaces? How can we help with culture? Because the space you work in matters, right? There's a big debate over open spaces, high cube walls versus low cube walls, offices and whatever. And uh, you know, their data shows that human interaction actually goes down 10% in an open space. That's interesting. Isn't that really interesting? That's fascinating. Because people actually, are like, yeah. they're wearing their headphones, they're actively trying to focus and, and keep <laughs> so people out. So they're overcompensating. Maybe they're overcompensating. To get their, to get their own I space, mean, maybe. It's still an ongoing research area, but sure. that's the kind of decision making you can make um, with that and how to organize your organization. So, um, uh, and, you know, who are, who are the actual leaders in the organization? Right? Yeah. Like where the, who who the are those leaders, facilitators? Not just the titles. Yeah. I, I, exactly. Yeah. And those are really good things for organizations to know. Absolutely. So good organizational help. Um, really cool stuff. You're a member of the Black Hat Review Board. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So uh, Black Hat is a conference that um, started um, late '90s, and it really became. And it's called Black Hat because it was really bringing the hacker community and the traditional government and enterprise, you know, security community together. And so the people who are doing vulnerability research, who are independent, who are just trying to figure things out, um, can inform the people who are actually running large organizations. And again, it's try to learn from the way hackers work. Um, and, and learn that, and this is what the conference is all about. It's been a place where um, a lot of us got our first uh, conference on stage to talk about, you know, our research or you know what we were discovering around security and share it with the with the community. And I I, I spoke at Black Hat, and um, I wanted to you know help become on the review board, which essentially vets the people submitting talks to. Um, to see, you know, select what are the best talks, right? And um, it's 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 great because I, I get to sort of be in the middle of the of, of what's going on with the community, but I also get to help people that are just starting out, you know. And there is a little bit of a mentoring aspect to helping people sort of break into the security community through Black Hat. So it's 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 very enjoyable to participate that way. Being someone who's been immersed in SaaS. For, for like 12 years. Um, some of the stuff that we built at Veracode, I still think a lot of companies can adopt the model of, yes, you have your SaaS, your, your customer interacts with you through APIs, through, through, through your website, but there are some things that can't be done just with software. You know, as a technologist, it's kind of weird to say that, but you need to figure out how do you engage people to provide the services that only people can do, and how do you make it so that the software and the people form together to provide a cohesive service to, to your customer? This mixing of people and technology is an area that I'm interested in exploring, and I think that model can work in a lot of businesses. Very good. You must have a very busy life uh, doing what you do. How do you manage to stay healthy? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky that um, uh, my wife is a great cook, and uh, we we almost never eat out. We always cook at home, and um, so I eat very well. Um, I I watch what I eat. Uh, you know I I you know I use an app, 
And uh, you know, I just, I just, I think good nutrition is sort of the foundation of of, of being healthy. The other, one, well, the other one, of course. What app do you use? I use MyFitnessPal. Okay, okay. I actually met the founder at my first Web Summit in uh, Dublin, uh, I think three years ago, um, and he's from Massachusetts. I think he's from Lexington, Massachusetts, which is a couple towns over from me. Cool. Um, and uh, so I think that's important. And then um, I think getting enough sleep is important. What drives you to keep doing what you do every day? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the security of our technological world is, is critical to the, to the future, right? Um, we don't want bad actors, whether it's as simple as like stealing money or as complex as manipulating our dem democratic process to take advantage of, of the technology you know, we've, we've created. And just everything is software now, right? You know, they, they call it the Internet of Things, but it's not the thing that's important, it's the fact that it's connected to the Internet and it's connected to a whole back end of software is what makes it interesting. And so the security of software to me, it's just like, um, it's something I've been working on for a long time and it needs to keep getting better. As technology changes, we need to keep figuring out how to get better. What I'm talking about um, later today is the security surrounding the cryptocurrency ecosystem, which has a lot of problems. So we invent technology, there's new problems to be solved, and I'm just really interested in helping people solve those problems. Uh, a friend of mine that I interviewed recently, Whirly, I don't know if you know him, uh, William Hurley, he's building a platform to uh, interface with um, quantum computers. And he's working with IBM, which of course are stored at temperatures below the, the temperature of mm -hmm. outer space. Um, but he's he, he's interested in, in making that accessible to developers around the world. And he's been quite successful in his previous uh, endeavors. And he's building a platform to interface uh, that quantum as a service, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? Uh, do you, what do you think will be the consequences of us building um, viable? quantum computers and their ability to solve massive problems. Do you think initially there'll be a lot of security uh, uh, keys broken? Do you think there'll be a lot of, uh, yeah. there'll be a new paradigm when that happens? Yeah, I, I, I do, I do. I think um, because the algorithms were designed um, without the, the quantum computing in mind, um, that they are um, they are they are breakable with so you come up with like a completely new technology you can break some old technology that doesn't have that in mind um, so like our conversations now that we're encrypting um, you know and everything in the past that could potentially be broken but it doesn't mean that we can't build quantum um, resistant uh, encryption into the future and so that's a that's a big area of research now and um, I think in the next, I think before we have, you know, viable quantum computers that can break, you know, 256-bit keys easily, we will have quantum resistant, quantum resistant in place. Uh, in place. Okay. But it's not going to help us with the past. Okay. So just like everything on the internet is, at a is, level. is uh, everything on the internet is like permanent, like sort of everything you've encrypted could potentially be broken in the future. Okay, okay. Um, do you have any hobbies, Chris? Yeah, see, I'm just sort of a, I'm sort of a geek at heart, so I like toying and tinkering around with technology, electronics, um, ham radio is, is one thing 
I, I, I play with. I'm trying to get my son um, interested in that now. Um, I, I do a lot of photography. I have a photography studio set up. Um, so those are just some of the hobbies, and it's, it's mostly because I like tinkering with technology more than anything else. What are the one or two big learnings from your experience that you might share with us? So uh, a big one is it's going to take a lot of time. I think people underestimate how, how much time it takes because people see someone and they're an overnight success. No, they've been working at it for five plus years probably if you're noticing them as a big success, right? Like that, that's like sort of the minimum. Like um, when I started Veracode, I said, yeah, I can put five years into it. And at five years, I felt like we were really just getting started. Like to really capitalize on what we were doing and the whole market space, it was going to be at least another five years. Wow. So you have to put in a lot of time to build something big and lasting. Um, and then you, you have to, you know, you have to be absolutely passionate about it. You have to absolutely love what you're doing. It can't be like, it's not like a day job. <laughs> you know, it's going to suck up all your time and all your mental energy. So you have to be committed to it. And uh, I think if you put in the time and you're committed to it and you're passionate about it, you know, I think anyone can do it. Well, Chris, thanks for bringing your time and your passion and your commitment to the table here sure. at 40 Minutes of SAS. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. episode we have Cameron Adams co-founder and chief product officer with Canva talking about his near 20 year old pet project called the man in blue working as the main designer on Google Wave a failed project to build something similar to slack very high profile that lasted four years seeking out more control in his life getting together with Mel Perkins and Cliff Obrecht to form a very popular company and technology called Canva, a $2.5 billion success story, and why he prefers Sydney to San Francisco as a city to build a startup. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins, if you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.